Welcome back to the Burr Investor Podcast, where our mission is to empower aspiring real estate investors in their journey towards building generational wealth. Today, we're thrilled to introduce Anthony Guillen, a distinguished credit specialist and the founder of the Credit Rejuvenators. Anthony's expertise in credit repair and enhancement is invaluable, especially in a field where financial credibility can significantly impact investment opportunities. With his uh, with his in-depth knowledge and practical approach, he has helped countless individuals rejuvenate their financial profiles, enabling them to pursue their real estate investment goals. Anthony, thank you very much for joining us on the show today. We're eager to dive into the world of credit management and understanding how our listeners can leverage your insights to strengthen their financial foundation for successful real estate investing. Awesome. Well, thank you, first off, for having me on the show, Alex. I'm excited to share some insights and a little nuggets that will help anybody uh, looking for a credit repair or just want to expand their financial knowledge when it comes to this subject that we're never really taught in school. Fantastic. Fantastic. Looking forward to it. So let's get started. So, uh, you know, can you start off by explaining a little bit about why credit is such a critical factor in real estate investing, especially for newer investors? So real estate is often leveraged through finance, and credit plays a pivotal role in determining the cost of that leverage. For new investors, maintaining a positive credit profile is essential for accessing competitive loan options, reducing interest expenses, and maximizing return on investments. It's a key factor that can make or break uh, the financial, uh, financial viability. So in general, it's it's always smart to start off as a foundational thing, right? You want to make sure you, as a real somebody new coming into it, you know, having capital would be one thing and then leveraging credit would be the next. Fantastic. That is great. <clears throat> so for someone with less than ideal credit, what are the first steps they should take to improve their credit score, basically to prepare them for real estate investing? The first thing you want to do for the credit improvement plan is to get a credit report. Okay. I usually recommend going on Experian.com. It's absolutely free. It's a free credit resource that's out there like Credit Karma, and uh, my FICO. I like Experian just because of the easeability of the platform itself. Get your credit report and determine and see what are the areas that are negative, right? So you can see off there, it'll tell you collection, charge off, it'll tell you your utilization of debt. And these are things you want to take in consideration. Okay, so FICO is a score that lenders are going to use. Okay, I know Credit Karma and a lot of these ones that are on your bank uh, mobile apps might have what is your Vantage score, but those aren't the ones that lenders are going to use. You want to be able to see your FICO score. And first off, you want to see these five determining factors that have the pivotal play in determining that FICO score. So one is going to be your payment history, which accounts for 35% of the overall score. The next is going to be amounts owed, which takes into a percentage of 30% of that. The next is going to be the length of your credit. 15%, your credit mix, which is about 10%, and any new credit, which is inquiries, essentially. Now, I would start off by seeing, okay, the biggest piece of that pie is going to be your payment history. So let's see if any collections are owed. Let's see um, the past two years, have there been anything that's negative that's affecting you? Start off there, okay? Because though that's going to be the biggest chunk of the pie. Now, the next one is going to be your debt utilization, right? You want to maintain that under 5%. Most people say, oh, 30, you know, under 30 is kind of the rule. In my opinion, and from what I've seen, having it under 5% can mean the difference between 10 or 20 points. An example of this would be, for instance, let's say you have five credit cards, okay? And each of those five credit cards, you have about $2,000 in each. 
Now, that's about 10,000 of available credit to you. If you have if you have about 6,000 in balance that you're always carrying each month, then from there you can see that it's going to have a 60% utilization. Your goal is to have that at 5%. So about $500 that's reporting. Now, what is a little confusing as well is that there is a balance due date and then there is the actual date it reports on the credit report. And that's why it's pivotal for you to get your credit report, see when it reports, because that's the day you actually want to make sure it's already been paid. So sometimes you're like, I made the payment, but it, it, it's not reflecting on my report. And then you start using the card again and again and again. And then from there, it really hinders your ability to have this uh, high score that you're going to need uh, for real estate investing. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, a good point you bring up. So it's not like at the end of the month, it's not in the beginning of the month or the middle of the month. Every credit card or credit line has a specific date that it actually reports to your credit. That's right. So each one you want to be able to see there's two dates. You have the actual due date, which is the one that they will find you if you're late. They'll give you a late payment. And then the balance date that it's reported. And sometimes those days can be really well, way off. And I've seen them be a week or two off. So you really want to understand and get your actual statement and the credit report and then determine the both of them and either keep a note uh, on your phone or you know a reminder somehow so you can make sure it's paid beforehand. It reports and that way it can maximize your credit potential. So looking at that is going to be one thing, your length of your credit. I can't stress it enough that you want to make sure that you're not just getting new credit cards and new credit cards and new credit cards because that hinders the average age of your account. We'll go back to the example of five credit cards. If you've had five credit cards for the past 10 years, then you have an average age of 10, uh, of 10 years, right? The, of course, this is just assuming you don't have any other loans or anything else on your credit cards. However, if you start opening five more credit cards, then you just cut that average age to half. Now you only have a right. five-year average age because you open five more credit cards. So the rule of thumb is you want to open one maybe every one or two years, depending if you need it. Now, most people, they will jump into it and they want 20 or 30 credit cards, but they have really low balances. So $200 here, $300 here, but you can't even have dinner with 200 bucks. You know, you're going to max out your credit card and be already at a percent utilization. The goal is to open one up every couple of years, maximize the, the, the length of your credit history because it accounts for 15%. And then overall, it's going to have high balances too. They're going to give you 10,000 or 5,000 credit. So those are kind of the big things you want to look at when you get your credit report and, and determine those factors. Now, another thing too is don't open too many credit, don't have too many inquiries, don't run your credit a thousand times, and uh, try to have a diverse profile in general. Lenders are going to also look for that. They're going to see, oh, has this person bought a house before? Have, are they, have they ever had a credit card over a thousand dollars? What things on their credit profile make them less of a risk for the bank? And that's how, how lenders typically work. Okay. So how many credit lines do you suggest like someone to have? Like, is there a minimum amount of credit lines that someone should establish so they can consider themselves they're actually like building their credit? Or is having nothing a good thing? Nothing is a bad thing. Having nothing and having bad credit sometimes fall in the same category. Okay. Because the lender, it doesn't show that you have anything. And on top of that, even having no credit might show that you're it's even worse in some respects because they want to see okay this person yeah he has messed up credit in some respects but he has a few accounts they paid off or she has a few accounts they paid off when it comes when it comes to just looking at things as a whole it's 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 a lot to consider it, it, it really is and uh overall i think the best strategy and you know what i forgot your question so remind me <laughs> 
Remind no, I was me. saying like how many credit, you know, lines of credit do you suggest somebody to have? Like how many accounts? Five, I would say a mix of all. So a mix of, let's say, five credit cards and installment loan is going to be key to or different types of installment loans are going to be what's going to have the best impact on your credit in general. So if you're new, I'll give you an example. You're new, you're completely starting off. I would say first open a credit card, okay, secured credit card. And then from there, get something called self, which is an installment loan that you pay yourself to, but it makes your credit profile look a little beefier. And okay. essentially this is you pay 20 bucks a month to $25 a month. And at the end of the year, they give your money minus some fees, but it's going to help you build a strong profile. So you mentioned secured credit card. It's that has been instrumental for me and, you know, for others that I've seen that I've talked to or clients that I have utilized it to build their credit. Can you share a little bit more? What is a secured credit card for those that are not aware? A secured credit card is a credit card where you have to put a deposit and some will return it back to you after a certain period of time. Essentially, this has helped new um, new people starting off. Maybe they're young, 17, 18 years old and people who are build, rebuilding their credit again because it was damaged. Essentially, okay. Let's say it could be anywhere from 200 bucks up until a couple thousand, just depending on how much you want to go for. I typically recommend Discover and Capital One. Um, those are my favorites to go for because they usually are very generous with returning your money after six months of consecutive payments and give you a very generous um, credit line. So secured guards are definitely the way to go, especially if you're rebuilding or a newer investor. Got it. And what are your thoughts on credit karma? I mean, I personally, you know, utilize it a lot. Uh, I, I notice it's not perfectly accurate but it is pretty helpful to give me you know a quick understanding when i need something on the go i can jump on there check it out and i hear a lot of people using credit karma is it a bad thing or is it just something you know you can reference but not to rely too much on i would say it's not bad at all it's a free resource you can't go wrong with free you know it tells you on things it tells you things pretty quickly too if somebody ran your credit if you ran your credit if there is a new collection that comes off if there is a significant milestone it kind of lets you know however the misleading part is that the score is completely inaccurate to what a lender is going to see and they could be off like substantially so most people tend to look at credit karma and be like oh my score is so and so but they run their credit and it is completely different and i want to keep this in mind guys there is about 10 different types of scores, okay? You have your auto score, if you're trying to get a car, FICO auto, you have your FICO mortgage score, you have your FICO credit card score, and then you have a vantage score. And then it kind of goes into subcategories of each. And so essentially you wanna be looking at your FICO scores only. And that's why I promote Experian um, because I like that they just are very transparent with their FICO score eight. They use your credit mm -hmm. card score. The first score you see yeah. is gonna be there is gonna what the lenders are gonna pull and typically, most lenders uh, in credit cards will pull from Experian. However, when it comes to mortgages, and for this specifically, they're going to use the middle score of the three bureaus. They have Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax. And they want to see the mid score of all three. Cool. So that was going to be a question of mine is, you know, the the, the different types of scores, because I know some people, you know, feel they've purchased multiple cars or leased multiple cars. They've kept that in good standing. They've established that line. Then when it comes to pulling their, you know, credit that's related to a mortgage, it's completely different than what they expected. So it sounds like it ties into what you just mentioned right now. They could be, you know, you can have an excellent auto score or whatever they call that but then in the mortgage world or when they pull that specific score it's not necessarily in line with it absolutely and that and that has a lot of reasons why let's say for instance you had a late payment on just your car 
mm-hmm. but significantly impact your auto score on just your on your auto, not right. a mortgage score, your credit card score. However, a lender is going to kind of look at things as a whole. If, the, if they've seen that you, like, if you're applying for a car, let's say, and they see you have ten paid off cars and you have one that's late, and your score is eh because you 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 know you say that you have some high utilization. They're probably going to still give you the loan. You know, there might be some terms that are, are going to be less favorable, but they're going to look at things as a whole. And that's why establishing a great profile in itself is going to be pivotal. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, one question that comes my way a lot, not that we're encouraging anybody to do this. However, you know, some people ask, okay, if I'm late a day, a few days on my car payment or my mortgage, is that going to hurt me? Well, you know, it's a perfect question for a credit specialist like yourself. Is there a grace period that you have before you're, you know, you're actually late and penalized for a mortgage or a car payment? Is it 15, 30 days? What is it? You might be having a late pay, you know, like a, a late fee, let's say for your credit card if you pass one day, but legally they cannot report it on the credit bureaus until it's been 30 days. If it's been 30 okay. days, 31 days, you're kind of SOL. Most times they are not that friendly when it comes to that and they take it very seriously because there is specific standards that they need to adhere by in order to be able to report on these uh, on these credits. So they have to have a strict guidelines for them. And if it does happen, which happens all the time, it's happened to me. I literally last year had a late payment and I was going crazy about it. But fortunately, I had such great payment history for the past so long, so many years but yeah, it dinged my score, but it wasn't detrimental where I was I was going crazy about it. Mentally a little bit, but not where it, it affected me overall. So yeah. when it does happen, let's say, for instance, you you realize that you're late, the first thing you want to do is make you know, call them and see how many days you're late and try to get a payment in within that before 30 days. If for instance you cannot, just be honest with them. Hey, I'm going through this financial difficulty. Can you work with me and not put it on my credit and not ding me? I, I'll be able to get the money in so so many days. And you'd be surprised. Sometimes they are willing to work with you. And sometimes, unfortunately, they're going to be stricters about it. It's just going to vary. But you have to use your charm and and, and uh, get on the phone with them and see how, how you can leverage that. Or just give someone like yourself a call so you can help them out with the process. <laughs> or that's it. Hey, I'll take it. <laughs> Fantastic. So tell me a little bit about you know the process. How long does the credit repair process typically take and what factors can influence this timeline? As you can imagine, every credit profile is going to be different, right? And for instance, it could take a couple months to a, you know, a, a very long time up to a year. You know, factors include the complexity of the credit issues, the responsiveness of the creditors, and the effectiveness of the chosen repair services. So, for instance, if we're working with a thick file and thick is considering more than five or ten delinquent accounts, then yeah, it, there's a lot of moving pieces because we're essentially talking to three different bureaus and talking to each of those creditors individually to come to either a agreement on uh, on a settlement price or to remove the account from inaccuracies on the report. Now, you're entitled to have your report be very, very accurate. And I say that because it doesn't have to be 100% accurate, but it has to show that there's a goodwill on the creditor side, that they're reporting monthly, that they are updating these accounts, that all three are staying in line with what they say. Like, I'll give you an example. It, one can't show a balance of, let's say, 10000 while the other two show balances of 4000 And this is consistently yeah. always wrong. These are inaccuracies. And you'd be surprised the majority of Americans have inaccuracies on their credit report, which is grounds for removal. Now, there's other consumer laws and things that go a little more complex when it comes to uh, removal of things. But that's kind of the general ruse of it. Of it. 
It's going to vary on each person's individual account and their goals too. If your goal, let's say, is to is to buy a home, and then let's say the plan for you might be a lot different than let's say the person who just wants to build a better profile overall, overall over time. It's going to be strategically working with the credit repair specialist, the lender of your choice, of your choice, to be able to be like, okay, I need to see this in order uh, for the underwriter to approve, and then from there we're kind of working hand in hand uh, to get you where you need to be. The team effort. That's what it sounds like. If someone has bad credit, like an investor has bad credit, what are the challenges that they would face? What are the obstacles and how does that affect their ability to secure a loan? Or does that, you know, is it just affecting the rate that they get? Or what are some of the challenges that you've seen? I mean, the impact on credit on loan approval and interest rates you know, cannot be overstated. Investors might face scrutiny, uh, reduced borrowing capacity and higher financing costs. Uh, this can limit the scale and profitability of real estate ventures. So developing a clear plan to address and improve it while exploring creative financing solutions becomes imperative for investors aiming to overcome these challenges. So if they have bad credit, let's say some lenders might not even, well, depending on, on the type of financing they're looking to get, some lenders might even just say no, right? Okay. Most new lender, most new investors, I would say, leverage their own personal credit at, to be able to get them to secure financing. So it's it's imperative that they have good credit to be able to have more options on the table, you know. And because you know, you when you're looking at investing, you're looking at it from the profitability side. And if let's say, for instance, your credit score is really bad, the interest rate's really high, and you know you're going to carry this loan for a while, then it's going to be eating at your profits. And that's what you don't want to do. Is you want to look at it from the whole grand scheme of things and be like, okay, this is going to make the most sense in the long term. And having good credit is going to be a, a driving factor in that. Absolutely. I mean, it's an expense factor to consider. That's a good point. So once an investor has improved their credit score, what are the best practices for maintaining it, uh, particularly like when they're trying to hand, uh, you know, handle multiple investments? You know, I would say leverage professional guidance, you know, consult with the credit repair expert and financial advisors who can provide personalized strategies. As I mentioned previously, each person is different. Everybody is different. And and that's why it's important to understand your own goals and your own needs. You know, that that insight can expedite the credit improvement process and make it overall, um, you have a good profile. Rule of thumb, though, is you want to not make any late payments. Okay. Rule of thumb is you want to maintain that 5% utilization, not run your credit 100 times, and overall, just maintain a good credit mix. If you have those things, you're always going to be set up for success. And you want to always maintain that overall credit efficiency. I, I, you know, we've had this conversation before where, you know, if and, and it comes up a lot, like, uh, you know, especially someone looking for a mortgage, they run their credit, you know, sometimes they want to shop around, they want to talk to another lender. They're a little bit fearful of, you know, running their credit again and so forth. Is there a grace period where if you run, like, let's say a mortgage credit multiple times in a certain period of time that it doesn't necessarily have as much impact on that person? Yes, you have about a 15-day grace period before you could run it about 10. You can run it as many times as you want, and it'll only count as one inquiry. Okay. So that's that's, that's, that's a big point, yeah. Rule of thumb, right? And that's what gives you kind of the shopping period. And this happens a lot when you're working with, uh, when purchasing a car, a lot a lot of times they'll shotgun your credit, per se. Yeah. And then they'll try to apply mm -hmm. multiple banks that give you different kind of rates. And you'll look at your, and it'll be scary because you'll be like, what the heck, I didn't tell them to run my credit 40, 50 times, right? But the reality is it's going to only hurt you once. It's only going to do you. It. 
So overall, whether you're shopping for a car or, or a house, you know, you want to keep in mind that you have the ability to shop around without it severely impacting your credit. Now, if you're every 30 days looking for a place, then yeah, it's going to count as multiple inquiries and then you're, and you're, you're trying to get the best rate overall and you're trying to go every 30 days, you want to run it again to see what it is, then that's actually going to hinder you because let's say those couple inquiries you just got knocked on your score 30 points and now you're at a different tier right? Credit usually works in tiers for most lending institutions. And if you want to have like a tier one plus, that's going to be above 740. Above 740, you know, it gets better. It, you're going to have the most favorable rates. And when you got to talk talking to 800 and stuff, yeah, you're going to have a little better. But overall, rule of thumb is 740 for mortgages is, is, is the golden standard. Okay. So when someone is looking for credit repair services, you know, what should they be considering and how can they distinguish between a reputable service and scams? Well, first off, like anything, you want to see their track record of success, right? And how, how are they, how do they handle themselves, right? Whether it's a referral through a friend, you know, and especially that's going to be the number one thing. Like maybe ask somebody, you know, like who, who do I trust or have you done credit repair before that's worked? A lot of scams are out there, a lot of illegal stuff, what they're doing. Um, the, a lot of them do identity fraud. A lot of them are very unethical when it comes to it. And the reality is, guys, is that not everything can be removed from your credit report. As I mentioned previously, there has to be inaccuracies. There has to be some type of consumer law that can help you remove these things. But it's if most of the time, and I see it all the time, it's your debt. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Let's get you on a game plan and play them back. Let's 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 try to settle things in, in, in a respectable manner. And being able to find the reputable company is going to be able to tell you that. It's going to be very upfront and not promise you the best results in 30 days. You're going to have a 700, 800 score. Um, there are some golden nuggets that can help you, you know, boost your score per se. But the general guideline is you want to find someone who's going to be very upfront, tell you what can and can't be done and a realistic timeline. Anybody who's telling you less than two or three months when you have a very thick file, they're doing some shady stuff or, you know, it's 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 unreasonable and they're going to take off with your money and you're never going to hear from them again. And it's unfortunate. You know, I hear a lot of these stories and, you know, people have been made some false promises. So it's it's unfortunate. That's why, you know, we're grateful to have you as part of the team and, uh, you know, to provide that resource to our clients. So what final piece of advice would you give to our listeners who are just starting out in real estate investing and are conscious of their credit standing? Make sure you understand it very well. Get that credit report. Focus on those five things I mentioned to you. Payment history, amounts owed length of your credit, uh, credit mix, and any new credit, and you're going to have an overall good file. That's the, the the main thing. And it's never a one day to the next kind of situation where you're going to have an amazing score, but there's small improvements. It takes time. It takes time. It takes you really developing and curating this and treat it like your baby. You know, really don't sign, don't co-sign for anybody you don't really trust or haven't vetted really well. You know, just the, that random boyfriend or girlfriend or cousin. Uh, also just in general, Keep it as uh, and treat it like a baby. Treat it very, very well because you'd be surprised how many times we have to deny people because they have poor credit and they're ready to buy homes. They're ready to to get homes. They they want to get homes, but they cannot get it because they have poor credit and uh, because they have less than favorable rates that impact how much they can buy. 
And one big piece of advice I give everyone out there, and you know, this is sometimes surprising, but it happens is when you're in escrow, do not open a new credit card, do not make crazy purchases and do not co-sign for anybody on the car lease or anything like that. That could be just a deal breaker right there. That's, that's absolutely, you know, you have, when you're in that escrow period, you are especially need to be cautious on those things because they will literally make the lender will, will say, no, this person's a risk again, <laughs> deny. And then, they're, they're, they're SOL. So that's, that would literally be the worst thing to happen. But guys, don't don't be scared of credit. A lot of times people don't understand it. There's great resources out there. We're here to help you. And overall, you know, empower yourself to understand this, to empower your children. As I mentioned, we're not taught this in school. I had to mess up my credit really bad in order for me to really get a handle of what it's meant to be. And then from there, now I'm leveraging it myself. My son is going to have perfect credit by the time he's 18, which is amazing. And I want him to leverage that as well, because then you start talking about student loans and he can get a student loan at a better rate and you start empowering them, their financial things through uh, credit. Fantastic. Yeah, it's great to start them off early. That's for sure. So as we wrap up our awesome conversation, could you let our listeners know the best way to reach you or learn more about your services? Sure. Best way to reach me is uh, through email. I still utilize my my Compass email uh, as a platform for me for credit repair as well. So anthony.guillen at compass.com or just call me 661-600-6649. I love a personal approach. Any situation I'm willing to help out, you know, just let me hear and see how what options we could present in order to strategically put the best plan for you. And everybody's different. So just give me a call and we can work something out. Fantastic. And then check out the, the comment section below. We're going to have uh, more about Anthony and uh, you know the ways to reach him, his phone number, his email address as well. Thank you very much for taking the time, Anthony. We appreciate all your insight, man. Of course. Thank you, man, for having me. Appreciate it. And thank you all for joining the Burr Investor Podcast. If you found today's episode helpful, please hit like and subscribe to our channel for more real estate insights. We love hearing from you, so please leave your thoughts, questions, or topics you'd like us to cover in the comment section below. And be sure to check out our website, theburrinvestor.com, and follow us on social media at Alex Nale, at The Burr Investor. Keep learning and investing, and we'll see you in the next episode. I'm your host, Alex Nale. Stay invested.